Romans 8 verse 23 to 25. And not only so, but even ourselves, having the first fruit of the Spirit, also we ourselves are waiting our divine adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in this hope we, are, we were saved. However, hope being sin is not being hope, for who goes on hoping for what he goes on sin. However, if what we are not seeing, we go on hoping for true patience, we are eagerly awaiting. Now we recognize that we are living in between the fall and the new creation. That time period between the fall, Adam's fall, and the new creation that the new universe will be created. We are living in the paradigm, an age between the suffering and glory. We are living between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. So as believers, we need to understand what is going on within us. And this paragraph begins uh, from Romans 8 verse 18, if you can all recall. When Paul says, For I am reckoning that the sufferings of this present time are not comparable to the coming glory that is to be revealed to us. And he gave us some reasons why the sufferings of the present time are not comparable to the coming glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, in this section of the, our paragraph, Paul makes this statement in verse 23, And not only so, but even ourselves having the first fruit of the Spirit, also we ourselves are waiting our divine adoptions, the redemption of our body. As a further reason why the creation is longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Now we have three main points. We grow, we hope, and we wait. First one, we grow. Who are the people groaning? Now, I'd like you to look at your Bibles and look at the text. In verse 22, it says, the creation groans. And in verse 23, Paul says, not only creation is groaning, we ourselves are groaning. Who are they ourselves? They are the ones in verse 16, who the Spirit goes on testifying with their spirits that they are children of God. This groaning is a kind of deep sigh, a deep uh, complaint within them. That is going on. The groaning contemplated here is not, a, is not in the province of unbelievers. It is uh, precisely because believers have the spirit that they groan. Believers because groan because they, like creation, are subject to Adam's cause in this present age. By saying that Christians groan in themselves, Paul suggests that these groans are not verbal trances, but inward non-verbal size, indicative of a certain attitude within them that is going on. This inward cry out that is coming out from their soul. And it goes on to say the difference between the two groaners. And the difference is that one has the first fruit of the Spirit, which is uh, ourselves, and the other doesn't, which is the creation. Now this word first fruit, what does it mean? It is used in different ways in the Bible. Like, for example, in Romans eleven sixteen. He says, if the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also, and the root is holy, the branches are too. It is called first piece. Yeah. In this text, in Romans eleven sixteen, it's called first piece. In Romans uh, 16, 5, it says, also greet the church that is in their house. Greet Epinetus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. And you see in this text, it's used as 
is translated as first convert here. In first Corinthians 15, verse 20 and 23, he says, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who are asleep. In verse 23, he says, But each in his own order, Christ the first fruit, after that, those who are Christ are his coming. And in this text, it connotes guys the connotation of first harvest here. Now, from all these texts and general use in scriptures, we can in this our particular context say first fruits mean the blessings we receive through the spirit now. A foretaste of greater blessings to come, a foretaste of glory. The spirit is the is the first pledge of blessings that are still to come. The Spirit, in a sense, is both the first instrument of salvation and the down payment that guarantees the remaining stages of that salvation. So all the blessings that we can receive now, all the healings, the miracles, all the uh, prophecies that we can receive now through the Spirit, these are what we call the first fruit of the Spirit. The unity, the peace that comes with, the joy that comes with having the Spirit, being able to taste of the powers of the age to come. These are the uh, first fruits of the Spirit that we are talking about. Now, Paul goes on to tell us what we are groaning for. And he says we are groaning for two things. We are groaning for our divine adoptions and sons and the redemption of our bodies. The two go together kind of. In as much as now we are adopted as God's children, we haven't gotten all our full privileges as sons. We are still here to take our inheritance in Christ. For example, there is no one that will say that they've gotten everything that they want to get in Christ Jesus. As uh, their sons, as inheritors, God has promised us that our fellow heirs with Christ, who have not inherited the full earth as at this time, so we have not inherited our full privileges in Christ Jesus. They are being reserved for us in heavenly places. Our true nature as children of God hasn't been revealed. It will be revealed in the future. This is why we groan. The sonship we enjoy as believers now is incomplete. You remember when Paul has said previously, he says we were adopted as sons when we were justified, when we received the spirit of adoption, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So because of the spirit of adoption, that's why we are crying out to our Father, that God is our Father. But we haven't received the full inheritance. We haven't received the full um, completeness of what it means to be the Son of God. Now, it says we are awaiting the redemption of our bodies. It doesn't say the redemption of our spirits. Those who are awaiting the redemption of the body must have had their spirits redeemed already. We groan because we are tired of these our bodies, which makes us vulnerable to temptations. There are times in your life that you'll be going through a lot of sins in your life, and you'll just be tired like, God, I wish this body can just be taken away. I don't want to be falling for temptations. And we'll go through moments like that, that we just wish that we can just go to heaven now and be tired of sinning. As believers, we need to get to the point that we get tired of sinning, like, we just we will just want to do without it. And that is the main thing that we even love to see uh, everyone. Basically, we want to go and be with the Lord. Because we will not be in the presence of suffering anymore. There is no pres- There will be no presence of sin there anymore. Only righteousness that will reign there. 
and which is our love. This is what we love. We love righteousness. And we have hated wickedness. We have hated sin. That is what believers, what happened to believers. That is how their desires are now, as God has redeemed their spirit. He says, everyone being Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. New things have come. And these new things are new desires that have come from God. So if we see these new desires within us, the hatred of sin, the longings for righteousness, the desires to do righteous deeds, they will know this has come to us from God. Now we've grown. We want to be finally free because we want to be finally free from the presence of sin and falling into sin. And this passage helps us to understand what, um, what Paul is trying to say in this text here. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1 to 5. And he says, For we know that if the earthly tent which is in our house is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with ends, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, be burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now we, he who prepared us for this very purpose, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. So we see from this text, Paul is saying that God has built we have a building from God. He has not made you that eternal in heaven. He said, in this hour, he calls our body our tent, it, our uh, a house. He said, we are longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. So we are longing to be clothed with another spiritual body, which is made from heaven. And uh, a heavenly body, which our Lord Jesus Christ had. So that is what we are longing for. And this is why we are groaning. We are groaning, we are bonded because we are tired of these bodies that corruption and decay has taken over. And we want the, the, uh, the immortal bodies. We are tired of falling into sicknesses and getting weak. Because one thing we can notice about our bodies is our bodies are decaying due to corruption. We are getting weaker, we are getting closer to dying. And that is one thing we can notice from ourselves. We can notice it in life. So... God has given us a pledge that this is what is going to happen. This pledge is uh, a guarantee that I am going to give you the redemption of your body in, uh, in the future. I am going to give you a new body. I am going to give you a spiritual body. I am going to give you an, uh, a heavenly body in the future. So the spirit is the pledge that God is going to do this for us in the future. And that is why we are groaning. The Spirit, because of the Spirit is there telling us that this is coming, we groan. And as usual, the reason, the reason why we groan is because we have hope. For example, if, uh, if you are very, if you are, for you to have hope, it means that you are groaning, basically. For you to, for example, if you are, um, if you are not, not, if you are not okay with the state that you are in, you will be complaining because you are saying you want to get to a place that is better. That's why you are not okay with the state that you are in. So, if the reason why you are groaning, it's inevitable to say that you have hope because you are groaning. If you are, if you do not have hope, if you don't have, if you do not see something better, there's no way you'll be groaning. There's no way you'll be sighing. There's no way you'll be complaining within you. 
But because you are seeing that there is something better ahead, that is the reason why we have hope. Which leads me to my next point. We hope. And he says, for in this world, he says, for in this hope, the hope as in verse 20 that he says, for the creation having been subjected to fertility, not voluntarily, but because of the one having subjected it in hope. He says, God subjected it in hope for the purpose of hope, that the creation itself also will be set free from slavery to corruption into the freedom of the children of God. And we ourselves, like the creation, we want to be free from corruption and decay and our mortal bodies. We want to be transformed into the image of Christ. We want to be as Christ is and want to be in His presence. But the particular hope Paul is talking about here in this text is he's talking about the redemption of the body. He's talking about the resurrection from the dead. And God is basically telling us that we are saved for the purpose of hope. We are saved for hope. We are saved from the penalty of sin, which is what we call justification. That you are saved from um, just uh, from the penalty, the wrath of sin, the judgment to come. And he says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hope in the biblical language isn't a wishy uh, word as people use it today. Sometimes we might say, I hope he comes to church today. And in that statement, there is a doubt. There is no certainty. Hope means expectation with certainty, with assurance. And the, fun, the thing about hope is that the certainty of the hope is dependent on the person it is on. Let me give you an illustration. In the, for those that watch football, if we see um, a match like Bayern Munich versus West Brom, we will be so hopeful that Bayern would win. Some people may even bet their life that that Bayern would win because they know how Bayern, big Bayern is. So they are so sure that Bayern would definitely win West Brom, and then because they also know how small West Brom is. And so the Christian hope is on God. That's the most certain person you can place your hope on. You could die on the hill for Christ, for God's sake, that God will never fail you. God is not a man that you will fail to keep his promises. He is a sovereign God and he controls all things. Sometimes we as men will come and make some promises and say, because of a particular situation, I cannot meet those promises. Uh, for example, my uh, my student's school fees have come out, so I cannot send you that money. I didn't expect it to come at this time, so I can't send you that money. Even though you must have promised the person at this time, a bigger situation came and you have to fail that promises. But God is not like that. God is in total control of the universe. Sometimes we might even come say we are coming for an occasion, and because of the weather, when I say, because of the weather, I couldn't keep that promise. I couldn't come anymore. The rain was falling. I couldn't come into the rain to come for your occasion. But God is not like that. He is entirely in control of the whole creation. So what is stopping him? What can stop his promises from coming to pass? There's nothing. There's nothing that can stop his promises from coming to pass. He is in control of anything. The only thing that can stop us, our promises from coming to pass is because we have someone above us. God is above us, which is in control of all things. 
So our promises may fail because we are not sovereign. We are not God. God is sovereign and we need to put that to our head. Man is not sovereign. We are not in control of all things. Don't put your trust. Don't put your hope in man. Put your hope in God. That is the strong anchor. Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the conviction of things not seen, the assurance of things hoped for. For you to have faith means, necessarily means that you have hope. It's of necessity to say that because you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then that means you have hope. Your faith is as certain as your hope is certain. There are many things you hope for before coming to Christ. There were many expectations that were put before you before coming to Christ in the presentation of the gospel. The gospel uh, presented hopes to you such as liberation from sin. You rescue from the wrath to come. Eternal life, which is fellowship with God and His Son, that they may know Him and the Son whom He has sent. You have promised the resurrection as part of the hope. You remember the Lord Jesus Christ was resurrected, which is part of the gospel. And when the gospel was presented to you, they said you will be saved from your sins. They said the coming right to come, you will be rescued from it. They said now you can have fellowship with God. You cannot be reconciled with God. No longer can your sins separate you from God. You cannot come to God's presence. It says, do your sins be, as Christians say, they will wash them white as snow. You wash your sins white as snow. The writer to the Hebrew puts even the resurrection as part of the Christian basis. Six, Hebrews 6 verse 1 to 11, he says, 1 to 2, sorry. He says, therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Instruction about washings and laying of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So the resurrection is an essential part of Christianity. We believe in the resurrection as I've said before. It's very, very vital for you to believe in the resurrection. For you to hope in the resurrection of, your bo- of the bodies. We have to hope in the resurrection of the bodies. That we are coming back again. That God is going to resurrect us. Because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That is our Christian hope. That we, are, we don't believe in anything called annihilation. We are not going to be annihilated. We are living consciously forever. God is going to give us new bodies. The Bible clearly teaches the resurrection of the body. So Christians, because of the resurrection of the body, we are concerned about our bodies. There are some religions that teach that it's the spirit that lives forever. Or it's the souls that live forever. As Christians, we believe that it's the bodies. The bodies live forever. So the body is as important as your spirit and the soul to God. So because of the redemption of the bodies, God is going to redeem our bodies. We take care of our bodies right now. We watch the kind of things we eat. We wash our weight because this body is the temple of God through His Holy Spirit. God has given us the Holy Spirit as a pledge for the uh, redemption of our body. So we ourselves have to take care of our bodies too. If God is concerned about our bodies, why shouldn't we be concerned too about our bodies? We shouldn't just allow anything to come into our bodies. 
Now he says, if you have, if you are uh, seeing something, you don't uh, need believing or hoping. The scene he puts it in a present continuous tense. And that is the truth, basically. It's a fact of life. If you are seeing something within you there, you don't need to believe in a hoping. If you see someone being resurrected in your presence, you do not need to believe resurrection is possible. You know it is possible because you have seen it. Unless you are probably very skeptical. There are so many things that you might have believed must have been possible. But the moment you see them for the first time, now he's no longer believing. You know this is very, very possible. All your skepticism about it, all your doubt about it will have gone then. And Jesus uh, uh, told Thomas this in John 20, verse 27 to 29. He says, Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands, and reach here your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered him and said, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed, and yet believes. So, there are those who do not see, and yet believed. And that is who we are. We haven't seen the resurrected body. But we believe in the resurrection. We look, the faith is basically looking into the eyes, uh, the realm of the unseen. Second Corinthians 5 verse 7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. And this text is taken out of that context of the uh, resurrection of the body that we're reading just now. About us groaning and being bodied, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. And Paul says we, we are of good courage. We should be courageous because we walk by faith and not by sight. Even though we may not see the resurrection body, even though we may have not seen anything about the redemption of the body, we walk by faith and not by what we are seeing. Second Corinthians 4, it says, Why we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So faith is basically how we see into the supernatural with our spiritual eyes. We look to the things which are seen. Not, we look not at the things, sorry, which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. How can you look at the things which are not seen? It's through the eyes of faith. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And now, faith doesn't mean that we are, it's a kind of blind faith that is not based on facts. No, faith means that the Christian faith is clearly based on facts that we believe in. For example, the Christian faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is totally uh, holding to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Christ is resurrected, then that confirms him that he is truly the Son of God and is our Savior and our God, our Lord. So we believe in that fact of the resurrection of, of Christ Jesus. And because of the resurrection of Christ, that is why we know that we ourselves are going to be resurrected. So it's not simply a kind of blind faith that we're forced to believe in this, that we do not know what we are talking about. No, our faith is based on the fact that Jesus Christ was resurrected. That's why we believe that our bodies will be redeemed when God says so. If God did not allow his only one to suffer in Sheol, to decay in Sheol or in Hades, 
they will know that God won't allow us to decay in Hades. God will resurrect us. Romans 4, verse 18 to 22, from our father Abraham. It says, In hope against hope he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which has been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet, without, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that God, what God has promised, he was able to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now, a hope was said before Abraham that God was going to give him a descendant, God was going to give him a child. Through his wife, uh, Sarah. And Sarah was very old then. Him himself was very old. So he contemplated it that even though his body is as good as dead now, as he was about 100 years old, and Sarah's womb was good as dead, but with respect to the promise of God, he knew who God is. He knew what God was able to perform. Then he was fully assured about what God had promised. And this is the same way we are to put our faith and our hope in God. We know God has said in his word that he's going to redeem our body. So we put our hope in that. What God has promised, he's going to be able to perform it. That he's actually going to redeem our bodies. He's going to resurrect us. How can you have a firm hope? How can you have a firm hope? That's what I want to say. How can you have a firm hope? The way you can have a firm hope is this. You know who God is. If you can have a knowledge of God, you can hope with certainty. And when God revealed himself to Abraham on the kind of person that he is, Abraham was able to hope in God with certainty. Obviously, when God has uh, led him through the times, God has rescued him over time. His hope has grown, the expectations that were set before him, and he put his faith strongly in God. That helped him to grow his faith. Now we can know God through scriptures and study his works, his past deeds. Romans 15 verse 4 says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So the Apostle Paul says in Romans 15 verse 4 that it's through the perseverance and the encouragement of scriptures that we can have hope. When you study the scriptures, it brings you, uh, to you encouragement. When you see the lives of past saints all throughout the history, going through what you went through, in their humanness, seeing all their failures that they went through, seeing their weaknesses, that brings like a kind of encouragement for us and that gives us hope. That if these people were able to persevere in the face of the sufferings, in the face of trials that they went through, then we can have hope that we ourselves will persevere in our trials and sufferings in this present time. So if you neglect this, if you neglect the studying of scriptures, if you neglect the studying of God's word, your hope of the future won't be firm. You will start beginning to have doubts within you. And that is what happened to the children of Israel. God had rescued them from Egypt, basically, and they had that timeline between Egypt and the promised land. God just rescued them from Egypt. But now, within a short while, they have already forgotten what God has done for them in rescuing them. And because they did not meditate on his past works. 
did not meditate, did not think over his past deeds. They were just forgetting it. And God was trying to give them a memory of all these things that they won't forget it. For example, God would tell them uh, the manner that you should preserve it to further generations, that they should remember, remind further generations, this is why we are doing this. The same thing, the reason why God brought the feast and those celebrations, basically, for to remember the next generations, that this is what, why we celebrate this. This is what God has done for us. And they themselves will be able to put their trust in God. They will be able to hope in God for better things. But the children of Israel, Israel failed in this aspect. And that is why only two made it to the end, which is Joshua and Caleb made it to the promised land. Out of all that were rescued, over one and a half million were rescued from Egypt. Only two made it to the promised land. Because the rest are started having doubts. They started tempting God. And obviously when they started, they, are, they started losing their faith and trust in God, they started living in sins. As 1 Corinthians 10 says. And that's what happened to us. If we start drop our faith, the way there's a kind of correlation between faith and sinning. Basically. If we truly trust God, then we will stop sinning. And... Vice versa, the moment you start living a life of sins that you are no longer uh, convicted of your sin and no longer hating this sin that you are going through, you start finding out that your faith, you are almost giving up in the faith. You are almost tending towards apostasy because of that. So, and the writer of the Hebrew says, do not let your heart be hardened because of sin today. Do not let your heart be hardened because of sin. Sin is very deceitful and it can harden and when it hardens your heart, it leads to you losing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that will never be said of us. We have not seen the resurrection body. We didn't even see the resurrection body of Christ. But we go on hoping for the resurrection. We know all this because we see it through the eyes of faith. This leads me on to my next point, which is we wait. We Wait. Through patience, we are eagerly waiting. And you see there's a kind of tension in our text. Patience and eagerness. Patience and zeal. Really, did these two go together? Zealous, zealous people are hardly patient. You can't see someone who is very zealous, that is very, very patient. They always wanted to do things very fast. You remember how Paul was very, very zealous to persecute the church. Within one time, he has already gone to uh, Damascus, wanted to take uh, later to go and uh, persecute Christians very, very fast, just because he heard of this new religion. And he was having a false zeal for his God. You notice most times such people make mistakes. They forget things. They do not take thorough thoughts about what they are about to do. And Paul says, eagerly awaiting, but true patience. That is what we are to be doing. We are to be eagerly awaiting this hope. We are to be eagerly awaiting the redemption of our bodies, but true patience. We are to eagerly await the second coming of Christ, but true patience. It is only true patient endurance that we can eagerly await the redemption of our bodies. Through persevering in suffering, you eagerly await. 
You persevere by keeping your trust in God in that suffering. There are times that you're going through suffering and trials that are not pleasant to us. And you may feel like giving up or even cursing God in that moment. But don't. But don't. Don't curse God. There are times that we may be going to fatal accidents and you'll be wondering, what is going on here? How, can, how could this happen to someone like me? You'll be wondering and you want to curse God like, God, why you question God? And there's really nothing bad in questioning God. You could question, you could release your, your heart to God. God is wanting to hear our true hearts from, coming out from us to Him. And but once we know at the end of the day, if you question God, God will still win. There's no way, if you argue with God, there's no way you can win God in the argument. He's still going to win you. And you see that in Job. In as much as Job argued with God, at the end of the day, God still won him in the argument and gave him an answer, basically. <laughs> Not really an answer, but questioned him back that he's a great and mighty God. And we do not understand his purposes even in the moment of suffering. We do not understand what we are going through. And what helps us in those kind of moments of suffering, in those times of persecutions that you've been wondering, why am I so persecuted like this? But we, in those times, we remember our Lord Jesus Christ who left us the example and what he went through on the cross for us. If he could go through that on the cross for us, that we do not need to go to hell any longer and pay for our sins for eternity then why can't we just go through this little time of persecutions for his name's sake? Why can't we go through suffering for his name's sake? If he is truly our Lord, if he is truly our Savior, then we should be able to go through sufferings and persecutions for him. And in such kind of moment, what really helps us to be encouraged is our treasure banks of scriptures will be very helpful. If you have truly been studying scriptures all the while, then that will be very helpful in these times of suffering and persecutions. You begin to record the scriptures and preach them to yourselves till you believe them. Even though you may be having doubts that I'm actually a Christian. If I'm truly a Christian, why would I be suffering like this? I'm actually a believer. But one thing this uh, text truly teaches us is that what? Suffering is actually a mark that you are a Christian. If you are not suffering in the Christian life, if you are just in a life of enjoyment, there's no suffering, no persecution, then it may be that you are not a Christian. But suffering is actually a mark of a Christian because God will test our faith. The trials are going to come. And that's why the Bible keeps on telling us that this is trials that will be coming. Even says, Paul says, through much tribulation shall we enter the kingdom of God. This was discipleship 1-1 in the early church. They were telling them that through much tribulations will you enter the kingdom of God. You must know this. We are not going to lie to you. We are not going to sugarcoat the Christian life to you. Suffering is going to be part of the Christian life. And in this kind of moment, when sufferings come, trials come in different ways. We lose a family member. Accidents may come. We are thrown in prison for our faith. Or we are killed for our faith. We are led by the sheep to slaughter every day. We remember scriptures like Psalm 73, verse 25. It says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, so the person is saying here yeah, basically, My flesh and my heart may fail me, 
My wife, my family may fail me, but God is my portion. God is the strength of my heart and God is my portion forever. forever. You remind yourself that your delight is truly in God. That it is God that you are truly seeking. The hymn writer basically of the uh, hymn, It is well with my soul. That happened after a catastrophic event that I think he lost his whole family in the uh in a shipwreck in a ship accident and he had the news and he was still able to sing that song it is well it is well with my soul with my soul it is well it is well with my soul imagine going through that kind of suffering that kind of big incident that you lose your family and still be able to seek that that is not truly normal. It's not something that we can easily conceive. But through the Spirit of God within us, we'll be able to have strength. We'll be able to have encouragement. When we have the bank of Scripture, a treasure of Scriptures within our heart, we know that God is our portion forever. God is where our hope is. That is where our anchor is and nothing else. That anything we may trust in this world may fail us. But God is not going to fail us. Let us pray. Every Father, we thank you. We bless your holy name. You are a glorious God and King. We know, Lord, that you are a God who is faithful to his word. You are the only true God that exists. You are the sovereign God, our almighty creator. The one who creates all things cannot fail. There is nothing beyond his control. And Lord, we thank you, Lord. And we ask, O Lord, today that enable us, O Lord, to be able to increase our hope in you. Show us more of your deeds. Show us your glory, Father. Reveal yourself to us, O Lord, in a great and big way. Let us, O Lord, have a magnified view of the Lord. The psalmist says, magnify the Lord with me. Help us, O Lord, to have a bigger view of you. And when we have a bigger view of you, we can open you. We can go through sufferings, O Lord, without fear. That you are forsaking us. You will never leave or forsake us. Lo, Christ is with us always to the end of the age. That's what he said. And Father, we pray for those who are suffering now. We pray, O Lord, that they may be encouraged with scriptures. We pray, O Lord, that may they have access to the scriptures. That they will not give up on the faith. And we pray, O Lord, that even if they do not have, O Lord. Father, bring to remembrance your truth through your spirit, O Lord. The truth that they have meditated in time past, O oh Lord, from your scriptures, bring it to their remembrance, O oh Lord, that they may be encouraged and be able to persevere in the faith, persevere in the suffering that they are going through, because they are looking forward to the eternal glory that is awaiting them. Because the affliction, the momentary light affliction in this age is working out for us an eternal weight of glory. We pray, O oh Lord, that we will be able to see, O oh Lord, these expectations that you have for us, the redemption of our bodies, the resurrection of our bodies through the eyes of faith. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you bring this, O oh Lord, as a true knowledge and as a fact to every one of us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.